we're so grateful for either even the, what we take for granted, the simplicity of breath in our lungs, but the complicated nature of the creation of humankind held in tension side by side. Father, we look at, as we look at the world around, as we look at the creation, we look at the universe, we look at even biology and science, and we can see that it points directly to a creator, and that creator is you, Jesus. But Father, we confess that we can get sidetracked left or right, even by just a degree, taking us off the center of you, Christ, and moving us off in a trajectory that is wrong. We pray, God, that today, this morning, while we're here, that you would center us back on you, knowing where every good and perfect gift comes from. It comes from you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team, for leading us. That was good. Good morning, everyone. Youth, Trevor Berger has answered the call. I was at the gym the other day, and Trevor Berger was there. And we both looked at each other and says, Oh, we haven't seen each other here often. So it means it's both of our first times, and it was a good time to be there because it looks like we work out a lot. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. Thank you, Phil, for allowing me to, to preach this morning. If you want to open your Bibles or your phones or what have you to, uh, to John chapter 5, we're going to go through the third sign that we see in the book of John. We've been going through the book of John and the signs, and I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to kind of open it up. And uh, I, hope to, uh, I hope that it's a, a, a real... I don't know. Well, we'll see what today is, but here we go anyways. The Pool of Bethesda. I'm calling this uh, sermon, The Pool of Bethesda, A Short Story of Misplaced Hope. John 5, chapter 1 to 14. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored co- covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and, le- and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was helped had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Tennis court. 
There's a man who has been sick for 38 years, and, uh, and we're going to get to this whole story and hopefully un- unravel it. But it's a very interesting story, and I say it's a, hist- a story of misplaced hope, where there's two sections of people that have misplaced hope in this, and then it all centers around Jesus. Uh, I am a, a DIY uh, amazing at it, really. I, I absolutely excel at hanging paintings a little bit off. Uh, you know, I could have everything set up. My, I, have two, I have like five levels at home plus a laser level. I have it all. And I was hanging this painting in our room. And I'm like, I'm going to get this bang on. This is going to be the best job ever. I had the laser level. I had the level. I had everything set up. And I had it going really well. And I thought, honestly... I had it all. I like measured twice, cut once, measured 17 times, cut zero times. I really was going well at this. And I even had the laser level out and it was, I thought what was happening was it was guiding it perfectly. So I did this. It took me all day. It was ridiculous. How embarrassing is this? But it took me all day to hang this painting. And I laid down. It was just at the foot of our bed at the wall. And you just lay down and you look and you look at the ceiling and you look at the painting and you're like, ah, it was just a little a little bit off. It took me hours to do this. I was so certain. But if you are just a degree or two off on leveling anything, you know how frustrating that can be. And it just absolutely takes everything far away from what it's supposed to be. And that's what I think this story is talking to us today, is a little bit about just being a little bit off on our goals, a little bit off on our trajectory. And we go off somewhere completely new, completely different. I heard a story this week um, while I was reading some commentaries about, about these two boys and, and this older gentleman that lived in a house. And this older gentleman lived in a house and he was, he was starting to get on in years. He was starting to get sick and he couldn't take care of his back, the back garden where he lived. And so as he kind of lived in this place, as he kind of moved around, he never was able to get back and take care of things the way he used to. And these two boys one day kind of were, 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 they were in England and they kind of just went, found this guy's back garden. They kind of went in there and there was this tennis court there. And this tennis court was like this kind of just a rough, you ever been to a rough tennis court before where you're just like, they have just ignored this tennis court? And they're like, what is this place? It's kind of this like weird half magical place where these two boys kind of found, they had a soccer ball and they started to play soccer over the tennis net. They started to kick the ball, and they, had, they made up this game that was kind of fun. It would probably be pretty fun. And so they kicked the ball over the net. It has to get into the squares that are kind of still half there, but there's weeds growing up, and there's, there's trees kind of all over. This man's son came home one day to, to check on his dad, and he was upstairs, and he looked out the back window, and he looked down towards, the, towards the, the old tennis court, and he saw these two boys playing this ball game. And he's like, well, that's not right. And with no... You know, nothing ill intent at all. He came down, he grabbed a rake and he kind of grabbed some shears and he grabbed tennis rackets and, and, a, and a tennis ball. He went down there and he said, hey guys, this is, you know, we, we live here. I want to fix this place up for you. So he started to like, to, to clear off the, the tennis court. He, he, they they kind of mowed all along, mowed everything around. They, they got rid of all the, the leaves and the weeds and everything like that. They, they straightened up the tennis net so it was nice and fine and, a, and a much more level than my painting ever would be. And they kind of like, he kind of made it all together. They said, here are tennis rackets and here's a tennis ball. This is what this court was made for. And I'm like, oh. And so they started to learn the way of tennis. They learned to learn the, what it's supposed to be. And they started to, to embark into this new world of tennis. And like, oh, this is good. I mean, that was a fun game we had before. It kind of worked, but it didn't really work. 
And now we're into this new world. This is kind of what this is talking about. This miracle today is talking about a bit of a misguided hope that if we just put it back to the trajectory of Christ, we can start to see something real and something right. So I have an experiment. My apologies, Phil. We're going to listen to a song. And uh, if you were here last time I preached, I may have talked about U2. I apologize for the double U2 in a row. But if you have someone Generation X preaching, you might have that a couple times. So this is one of my favorite songs, and it points, honestly, it points directly um, to this idea of not finding what you're looking for. I may not play the whole thing. I'm going to check my watch while we do this to see where we're at. But let's have a listen. Well, that's the nice new tennis court. There we go. Beautiful. You missed a great rendition. We had to mute that online so we didn't get canceled. We, we get, you get taken offline if you have a, a song. But this song is, a, is one of my favorites, and it gives me chills. I love listening to this song. He has spoke with tongues of angels, but he still hasn't found what he's looking for. There was this idea of looking and looking and looking and searching and not quite being able to find. And that is really what this is talking about today. So let's... Uh, this is... Sometime later, verse 1 and 2, let's get into this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
This here is the pool of Bethesda. It's an interesting place. And uh, as we go through this, your, your, your mind is going to want to go back to when you read this story as a kid. And I want to just encourage you, just kind of like, let's, like, let's go off a little bit on that. And we're going we're gonna to kind of see what happens. But the pool of Bethesda is actually, um, is actually a place for Asclepius. It's called an Asclepion. And there was probably 400 of these pools uh, that were in and around the Roman, the Roman areas, the Roman, the, the Roman Empire at this time. And these were actually called Houses of Mercy. And it was this pool that was designed to bring healing because it was, it was not a pool that, uh, that we are thinking where the presence of God sat in. From what I'm learning, it is, a place of, it is a place where healing came because of the minerals in the water. It was a mineral pool that people went to healing. And it was just outside of Jerusalem. So this is Jesus' first time coming in. The first, two, the first two miracles were Galilee, and now he comes into Jerusalem, and he stops just outside of the gate of the temple to this pool of Bethesda. This pool of Bethesda is quite interesting. I have a whole written part here. Um, it's called the Healing Center dedicated to the Greco-Roman god of well-being and health, Asclepius. Devotion to Asclepius was widespread throughout the lands dominated by the Roman Empire. There were 400 Asclepions throughout the empire, functioning as healing centers and dispensaries of God, small g, grace and mercy towards those in need. The gods, small g, mythical daughters, for example, included the goddess of Hygienia and Panacea. And we know these terms. I don't know how to say the second one, but we know the first one, Hygienia and Panacea. Panacea is actually a cure-all. It's a daughter of the cure-all where you come to these pools and it is a cure-all for what, you, what ails you. It's a bit of like a Tylenol, I suppose. It's a, it's a, it's a cup and it's a, it's, a, it's a cure-all. And these, um, we can hear the Greek names in our modern phrases, those two, key concepts associated today with medical and medicine and health. Snakes were the key characteristics characteristics of Asclepius's, this is easy for me to say, Asclepius's cult of healing and health. Even today, one of the key symbols of the modern medicine is a pole with a snake around it. You may recognize this in a second. You do. This is where we get this from. And you, you, you've heard of the term Hellenization, and this is the Hellenization of the, of the Jewish faith, where the, the Greek faith and the Jewish faith started to become one, and they started to become kind of mixed in. And so people that weren't receiving healing from the Jewish faith would start to, to go outside of the temple, and they would head over to this pool of Asclepius, where there's 400 of these. So without further ado, we're going to carry on. He had a, there's, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. This is a place for grace and mercy. But it's a place where perhaps their vision was just a little bit off. Their idea of what was happening was just a little bit off. Their, their center point on Christ was great. Their center point on God was great. But then it started to wane just a little bit. And you know, eventually, if you are off a degree or two with hanging a painting or shooting off into space, you're going to be miles off by the end of it. So these people were looking for one certain thing, and then they just didn't quite find it what they were looking for. They didn't quite find what they were looking for, and they kind of veered off to the left or the right. And they started to go off to the side. This is the first place where Jesus came. Bethesda is the place where, where hope has been misplaced. 
Hundreds of people perhaps were there. And you can kind of imagine the place. Imagine these people laying there, hurting for years, waiting for the next verse. How many people remember verse 4 in their readings? The verse 4 is an angel came down and, 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 and stirred the waters. You may have recognized when I first read this, there was no verse 4 within that reading. I know, I know, Jordan, getting get kicked off the stage pretty soon. Don't worry, I listened, to, I listened to a lot of people this week on this, and they all take out verse 4. If you look at your uh, NIV 2011, you'll see that that verse is not in there. But perhaps some of, the verse, some of the versions that you have, it is in there. And what happened is the earliest manuscripts don't have this verse in there. This verse talks about an angel coming down and bubbling the water. I remember this as a kid. The angel always came down and bubbled the water. I'm like, well, this has to be good if an angel was coming down and bubbling the water. But what happens, this verse is actually not in the early manuscript. And people realize that they were just trying to figure out what these pools were. So they put in this verse about angels coming down. It's kind of this this Hellenization, uh, and this myth came in, and and some just copying person who copied the script, copied the manuscript, put this verse in there to to help understand what was happening. But that verse wasn't there. And I was always confused as a kid. Like, I, I don't know, I had this weird mind as a kid. I'm like, what's going on here? Is there, I didn't think this way, I didn't word it maybe this way, but if there is a God who is, who is coming for the marginalized, coming for the hurting, and coming for the broken, in this verse it seems to be that there's a race to get to the pool, because there's a pool, and the first one in the pool gets healed. I'm like, why would a God come to a place where there's a whole bunch of hurting people, and then say, the first one in the pool gets healed, and nobody else gets healed? I was confused by that. But I realized now that actually isn't part of this story. So that verse 4 is gone. Verse 5 and 6 says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time and asked him, Do you want to get well? So now understanding that this verse 4, and and, and just to to reiterate, the verse 4 was when an angel came down and bubbled the waters. It kind of made it seem like God was coming down and bubbling the waters. But it wasn't the case. And so Jesus, on his first trip in, came to this place for the marginalized, the hurting, and the people in pain, and found this man who had been there for 38 years, stuck in pain, stuck on his mat, not being able to get into the thing. You can almost see him saying, I've climbed the highest mountain, I've run through the fields, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've been doing everything I can for 38 years to get into the water, to get healed, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The question has to be asked, do you want to get well? And this is a, this is a tough verse for us to read. Jesus comes in and says, do you want to get well? Well, you think to yourself, of course he wants to get well. He's been there for 38 years trying to get in the water. Of course he wants to get well. But where is he at? He's been there for a number of years, 38 years. Over half of his expected life, 38 years have been spent there. And perhaps at the beginning of his 38 years, the beginning, he had heard these stories about this water welling up and people becoming healed. Well, it was a healing pool in a sense because it was a mineral water and people's skin conditions got healed. People, people did walk away from there with some sort of healing, but over 38 years, he would have seen people get in and maybe not get out properly or, or get healed the way that it was expected to, or they might get healed, but once a year, what's happening with that? Once every season, why is this happening? 
And we're going to get to the Jewish law in a bit, but this is where the Jewish laws were helping him. Because the Jewish law says that you need to help people who are, who are on our marginalized. You need, to, you need to give to them. You need to feed them. You need to make sure you take care of them. So he had quite a life set up for himself at his mat by the pool sitting there. But this life outside the pool is a life and a dream that he may have lost years ago. You could find yourself in a place where you have been dreaming of life outside of that pool at the beginning. But things have beat you down. Things have gotten you down. The reality of your new reality has made it like, I don't know what's on the outside anymore. Actually, I don't even think about what's on the outside anymore. I don't even dream about being outside this pool because I've been here for 38 years. I have everything I need. I have my community. I don't need to leave anymore. But Jesus walks into this situation and says, trust me, outside of here is something better. Do you want to get well? So on his level, the question is asked, does he want to get level, get well? But I don't want to make this a horrible story on this gentleman. I want to make, help it look at ourselves. And on our personal level, we can find ourselves here, sometimes through no fault of our own, in a reality that doesn't know the freedom that Christ brings. We can find ourselves constantly looking at this reality where the Spirit of God isn't actually living inside of us, is not active living inside of us. We become kind of numb to the world. We kind of come, we accept our fate. I think when we're all younger and they say, you know, you're, you're 10 years old, write a story about how you want your life to go. Inevitably, we all want to be a marine biologist. We want to do something great. I'm going to be, a, I used to say I want to be a, a government. And I didn't want to be a politician. I want to be the whole government. <laughs> we have something that we aspire to when you're young, but life gets in and life beats us down and life takes away the hope that we once had and we get numb to the outside. We actually forget that the outside is even there, and we just kind of become trapped in our four walls and say, this is where I am, this is my lot in life, and this is where I'm going to stay. Do you want to get well? This is the danger of abuse, of emotional abuse. People that hold us in to a place that isn't free, that bring our esteems down to their level, not God's level. We talk about self-esteem, but I want to talk about God's esteem for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And if you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and you have the life of Christ living inside of you, can we now take that and live that out? That's what this is asking. Do you want to get well? Do you want to have the full life of Christ living inside of you? And I say I want to, but sometimes I don't know if every single one of us, including myself, always wants to live that life because we become very comfortable in our four walls. We become very comfortable in the place that we're at. Eugene Levy, he's a Canadian film director, does some, some, you know, uh, Night at the Museum, (laughs) And uh, he's, he's directed that, Free Guy, a few other films. And, and he was asked, what do you want to do? When you're looking for a movie to direct, what do you want to do? And he wants to direct a movie about finding a place in this world where he doesn't fit in that everybody else seems to say they fit in so well too. 
We are always constantly, I do it, I compare myself, I feel like an alien in this world all the time, but the rest of you seem to have it going really well. Good for you. But I feel like an alien sometimes. Everybody else seems to be doing so, so well. I get so sad and frustrated and upset when everybody else seems to be just cooking in life and I seem to be just kind of weighed down. I want to assure you that we're all kind of living in this world where it's not perfect. It's not the best. But Jesus wants to come in and live in your heart daily to bring you that acceptance, to bring you that place of comfort, to bring you into a community. That's why we come to church. That's why we have our communities online. So you can come into a group of people and you can understand that the, we are all in this together. We may be rejected on the outside, but we're ex- accepted in here. And our job is not just to say, stay accepted in here, but it's to bring others in and know that they're accepted. Okay. The third thing, oh yeah, so I even have a thought. Do, does he, does you, do you, do we understand this. I'm the worst at my slides. I put them up like four days ago and I forget that they're there. But do we as a community want to get well? We as a society, uh, we've accepted our new world order. The infiltration of the outside world is, it, it, it has come in and pressed in and realized that we are just sitting down in our western world and we accept what we have become. There's the obvious ones that we need to push against. Made We know about the May debate, war, homelessness, abortion. We see all these things and we push against them as we should as Christians. A side note, there's a whole bunch of side notes in this one, but I'm not going to try to go too hard. But a side note is Christians is where hospitals started to come from. You know, we, we... knew that there needed to be justice, and we knew that there needed to be help for the people on the outside. And so hospitals actually came from the Christ, a Christian idea, from, from people who loved Jesus. So there's things in this world that we need to do that are obvious. But there's things in this world that don't get fixed. I'm going to, for a moment, push on our American brothers and sisters, just for a moment. But then I'm going to, don't worry, I'll bring it back to us. A few years ago, we saw George Floyd. Every single one of us was disgusted. And we've seen the shootings in schools, and every single one of us is disgusted, and rightfully so. But those continue to happen. Because we kind of become okay in the society that we're in. Even if our heart is crying out, this isn't right, something happens that our society stays in the dark. This is not me trying to say, Jordan, you, you're doing things wrong. But us as a Western society, us as a world society is in the dark. We don't see that there's something better outside of these walls. But there is. Us in Canada, there's residential schools until 1996. Our relationship with people, our relationship with homeless sometimes can be better. Our relationship with people that are are downtrodden, hurting, in pain. We need to do better as a society to see these things come to an end. What we need to do is be like Jesus. Before we step into the temple, we need to step into people's lives and we need to say, hey, you, come with me. Hey, you, I want to love you. Hey, you, I want to care for you. When you're in line at the grocery store and you see that the lady or the gentleman at the, at the till is not having a good day, they're a bit frustrated, bring the love of Jesus into that situation. 
Bring them outside of their pool. Bring them outside of their four walls into a beautiful understanding of Jesus. And he loves them and he cares for them. We become oppressed and we become okay with the mediocre. But Jesus is not okay with the mediocre because we still haven't found what we're looking for. But when we center on Christ, we start to find that. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. The excuses start to come. I want to reiterate, I'm not picking on this poor gentleman uh, from 2,000 years ago. But he replied, when, 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 when the time comes, no one is here to help me get in. The excuses come, but I would see it's a fair share of people in the bubbling water. He's seen his fair share of people get into the bubbling water over the past 38 years. And perhaps he's seen some healings, but he hasn't seen a remarkable change in everyone. There's still hundreds of people lying beside the pool. And he's still saying, yeah, I could get in, but that hope is gone. That hope is misplaced now. His story is a short story of misplaced hope. But it's a common one that many of us share. In fact, I would say that all of us find ourselves in moments of misplaced hope over the years. We place our hope in our finances. This is not a finance sermon, don't worry, about feeling guilty. But we place our hope in our finances. We place our hope in what we can do. We place our hope in our own understanding. We place our hope in our own self-esteem. But we forget to place our hope in who Jesus is. We forget that he is the one that brings us life. He is the one that as we center around him, he brings us that good life. What we need to do is recalibrate and look to Jesus as our hope. Not beat ourselves up over the past 38 years, but look ahead through the lens of Christ into a new and wonderful worldview with him at the center. Perhaps you've come in today and thought to yourself, ah, I, I've kind of been through this life. I've been through this world. I've been through the ringer for years and years and years, and nothing is changing. I want to assure you today that this can change. Your trajectory can change, and it changes when it's centered on Christ. He says, take up your mat and walk. Take up your place that you have called home and get up and move out. This sounds easy. This is anything but easy. You could, we could be living in a life full of addiction for the last 38 years. We could be living in a life full of pain and hurt and heartache for 38 years. It's not as easy to get up and go as some people might make it sound. Just get up. Get out of your place. You're, you're, you're sad. You're depressed. You just step out of it. It's not that easy. And I want to, if you're here today, I want to assure you that I know and we know as a church that it's not just that easy. But what makes it easier and what walks you through that situation is the love of Jesus and centering on him. Take up your place that you've called home and get up and move out. What he does, though, is he walks, picks up from one storm, one life, and directly into the eye of the next storm. 
At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. First of all, let's just remember that Jesus didn't say, get up, take your mat, go wash in that pool, and then leave. There was no washing in that pool anymore. That pool is nothing anymore. That pool is just mineral water. Great. It's good if you have, a, if you have issues with your skin. Awesome. But that's about it. Take up your mat and leave. The day on which this took place, this is pretty important, and it's pretty classic. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders had said to the man who had been healed, isn't it the Sabbath, the law that forbids you to carry your mat? But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. There is a lot in that verse, just a little heads up. There's a lot stuck in there. You can sit on this verse, this, this section of verses, this next week. Do it. Enjoy yourself. He said, take your place that you call home, get up. And then the Jewish, Jew, Jewish leaders saw that he had been healed, and they made no mention of the fact this person that hasn't moved for 38 years is up and walking around. Because I said earlier, the Jewish law said that they needed to take care of him, That was their job. That was what they did, and they did their job really well. So they were taking care of him for 38 years. They knew exactly what had happened. But this miracle took place on the Sabbath, and all as they could see, all they could see is the rule being broken. Do you want to know what's interesting about this rule? This is not a rule that was put into the Jewish law that was given by Moses. This is an interpretation, an extra part of the rules to make sure you don't break the first rule. This is an extra to make sure that nothing else happens said this before, you know, there's, if, there's a, if there's a red chair in the middle of the room, there's one rule, you can't touch that red chair. That's the only rule. Don't touch the red chair, all right? But what happens is we're like, well, we don't want to touch the red chair. We know it's bad if you touch the red chair, so what should we do as humans? What would we think? Well, let's put up a barrier around the red chair. We do it all the time. They're great. Barriers are awesome. They are so good. You know, uh, when you come into living nativity, we got to have some, some ropes because no one passes the ropes. So if we have ropes around the red chair, nobody's going to go through the, red, the ropes to get to the red chair. Perfect. We've got an extra set of rules. But we're still in the room with the red chair. We're still in the room that has the ropes, that has the red chair. What do we do now? Well, this makes sense that we just don't ever enter the room. So let's put a rule that you can't come in the room, that you can't touch the ropes, that you can't get to the red chair, and everything is going to be okay. What happened is they put extra rules so they could put extra rules so they could put extra rules so they didn't break the first rule in the first place. And when you put all these rules, you forget what the first rule is in the first place, and you forget that the rules were there for a good reason to point us towards Christ, but we forget completely what it was all about. The law was there to point us towards Christ, but they forgot that. And Christ was doing something. He's like, hello, I picked up my mat, and he walked. He's like, yeah, but you picked up your mat. That's important here. 38 years sitting there. 38 years hasn't moved. Couldn't get into the bubbly water. We put rules around things to keep us oppressed. There's rules that come in that keep us down. And that is everything against the freedom in Christ. God's love and God's grace brings us freedom to move freely and free, freely in his world, freely as his creation, loving those around us. But they said you picked up your mat. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. The man who is above your rules said this. The man who is above what is bad said this. 
The man who takes me and made me well told me that your rules are great, but I'm going to move past those right now because there's living water in who Jesus is. He walked out of a storm and into a new one. That's the fear, an understandable fear that we have as Christians because the world doesn't accept us. It's different. We live in a different time zone. What is Jesus doing here? He's living in a different time zone. He doesn't work the same way as the people talk about in Sabbath. They're not talking about, hey, hey, we got, we got a time zone. Day seven, you can't do anything. You can't even love on day seven. It's like you can't even do this on day seven. This is the Sabbath. But Jesus said, no, we can love. We can care for people. We can bring healing on the Sabbath. So he walked out of one storm into another storm. He walked out of being in a haze, not realizing that he's on a trajectory, that he's just off his trajectory towards Jesus. He found Jesus. He's back on that trajectory. And then people around him are off the trajectory. People outside are off the trajectory, not seeing that Jesus is the way. And so we walk out of these doors. We have a great time. We have a great experience. But people won't understand. And it's our job to help them understand. And how do you best make someone understand? Well, if we could all make someone that has been an invalid or been paralyzed for 38 years stand up and walk, that might be a start. But obviously, it's not the conclusion. So what we need to do is we need to love. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who has healed me. The man who was healed me had, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. What happens if we focus on the rules, we will miss what the Spirit is doing. And if we focus on the oppressor, if we focus on the idea that we shouldn't be doing something, we miss what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. If we focus on what people are saying not to do, we miss out on what Jesus wants to do. I want to encourage us as a church and as individuals, and as a society, to focus on who Jesus is and how he wants us to be. Let's not focus on the oppressor. Let's not focus on the enemy. Let's not focus on the person that's saying you look stupid when you do this or you do that. That's the enemy talking. He doesn't want us to have freedom. That's why we have set free, so we can come in and we can share and we can confess. So That's why we have Alpha, so we can come and we can learn about Jesus. And as we learn about Jesus... That freedom is lifted. That freedom comes. Do we as a society, do we as a church, do we as a people want to stay where we are? Or do we want to move forward? And I think it's amazing because there are so many fantastic, amazing Christians in this building that are moving forward and they're an inspiration. There's other people here who would just need that encouragement to move forward. Let's as a community encourage each other and move each other forward, spur each other on. This is a story of misplaced hope. The pool of Asclepius is a created thing that has been created and the creator has moved on, most likely, to death. Death of a legend. You notice at the beginning of this, there used to be people that were there. Now they're not anymore. Jesus doesn't create and leave. Jesus creates and loves. 
That is the beauty of our God. That is the beauty of who we put our trust in. Jesus doesn't create and leave us. Jesus creates and loves. And that is what the mark of a revival. Asbury has been focused in on the love of who Jesus is. That's what I want us to be focused. That's what I want to be focused in on. Myself rears its ugly head constantly. Amen. It does. I have an opportunity right now to really love like Jesus loved in my household. There's a, we, have a, we have a friend who, um, who is, she's, she's battling cancer and it's not looking good. And we need to take care of her kids for a few months. And if I say that out loud, everyone's like, yeah, Jordan, take care of those kids and love those kids. But there's a bit of me that's like, ah, I want to watch Netflix. But there's four-year-olds running around again. I thought I was out of this spot. But no, I get to practice being selfless every day in my house right now. I get to practice being Christ-like every day. But there is a battle constantly between my man-self and my God-self. I need to submit to that daily. Job 31 says this, I'm going to conclude. If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over many great wealth and fortune my hands have gained, if I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon in moving in splendor so that my heart was was security enticed and my hands offered them as a kiss of homage, then these also would be sins to be judged. If I would have been unfaithful to God so high, if I put my trust in gold, if I put my trust in my own human wisdom and what I can occur, that is where I miss the mark. We got to put our trust in Jesus. Worship team, you can come up. I'm just going to finish here. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed holy lips, I've felt the healing in fingertips, I've burned like fire, a burning desire. I spoke with tongues of angels. I've had the hand of the devil and warm in the night, I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But then the new kingdom comes. We get baptized into a new world. That's the eighth day. We're having a few baptism services coming up soon. And what baptism is, is a life dying to your old self and coming into your new self. If you have not experienced that world of baptism, it is a, it is a life-changing event that I want to encourage you in. Easter time, we're going to have a baptismal service, and also March 18th, we're going to have a baptismal service. And that dying to your old way, where you were just about right on, right on the right path, but just a bit off, centering yourself back on Jesus, His love, His care. And then we see the new kingdom. It says that at the end of this song. I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors bleed into one. There's no difference between people. When the new kingdom comes, we are all equal under Jesus. We still haven't found what I'm looking for. 1 Corinthians 
13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and have the faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. We can do everything and it's almost perfect, almost level to the eye, but just a little bit off if there's no love. Jesus came in to love. 